Open your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter number one. The book of Revelation, chapter number one. They asked me why, I told they asked me what series I was going to preach for Christmas, and I told them I'll be preaching a series of messages on un, uh, uh, unveiling Christmas. Unveiling Christmas. Well, I didn't do that last Sunday. They won't know why. I said, because I still had one more sermon on judgment. That's why. So I preached it. And listen, I can't, I don't get hung up about that. I really don't, because I have no idea when Jesus was born. You don't either. You don't even know we can't go to a particular place and say it happened right there. We know it was somewhere around Bethlehem. That's all we know. And it wasn't much of Bethlehem. And so I, I don't get caught up in that. Can I just tell you that if you allow the store managers and the schools to teach your children about Christmas, they'll never know what it is. And so I'm challenging you today that you let God open your eyes. That's what the book of the Revelation is. It means to take the clothes off of, to uncover, to make it to where it's disclosed and God makes you see him as he is. Sometimes we won't see Jesus as we want to see him, not the way that he is. And Revelation is a book that closes, the scripture says, with that kind of book. Someone said, if now with eyes defiled and dim, we see the signs, but see not him. Oh, may his love the scales displace and bid us see him face to face. Amen. That's going to be a wonderful and glorious time. But when we look at the book of the Revelation, it is a book of signs. Signs in the Bible don't necessarily mean what some folks think it to mean. It just simply means symbols. Signs in the book of Revelation gives us a picture of something that happened somewhere else in the Bible. Or it will answer that question in its own right. For instance, it might say it, uh, he had hair as white as snow. He didn't say his hair was white, he said as. And so God God clears up those things, some that he doesn't necessarily reveal to us, but he unveils enough for us for us to really understand what Christmas is all about. Uh, did you know God, not, there, not one time in the Bible did you ever find anybody celebrating Christmas? Not one time in the Bible did you ever find a Christmas tree? At one time in the Bible, you didn't even find a little group burning little candles? No, you don't find it. God said, celebrate my death, don't celebrate my birth. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. And, you know, some folks said they'll get all excited about Christmas and they'll go spend money they don't have and put, max out all their credit cards, pile stuff up under the tree, and they'll get, oh, it's Christmas. I get excited about Christmas time. But about the time Jesus died on the cross, we forget that, don't we? Well, he's going to tell us, open our eyes to, to today in Revelation 1. I want you to look what it says. Just four verses. Doesn't that scare you? 
The revelation of Jesus Christ, you see, that's word that is a apocalypto. It's the, it's the word that we use for apocalypse, unveiling. That's what revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. That word means when it starts to come, it comes quickly. And he sent and signified it or signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Are y'all hearing this? This is beautiful. Now look at verse number three. Blessed is he that readeth, and they would hear the word of his prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The word time there means era. John was looking for Jesus to come then. The end time started, the last days started on the day of Pentecost. And our Lord could have come any time from the day of Pentecost to now, but we see things unfolding like the Bible said, so we're getting very, very close to our Lord Jesus coming again. You're going to see even more as days go by. But this is my last verse and, 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 some, and words I want you to get. John, to the seven churches with Geneza, grace be to you and peace from him. Now get this. Look at this. Which is... And which was, and which is to come. Did y'all hear that? I mean, look at what it said. Which is, which was, and which is to come. That's what he said. So we're going to open up for you today those, probably just two verses, verse 3 and 4. But... uh, there's a lot of different views about the book of Revelation. Let me just get that out of the way first because there may be somebody here and you really never had anybody teach you that I taught the whole book of Revelation a few years ago and, and um, on Sunday nights, took about a year and a half. And we, we taught that. And, uh, but many of you were not members then. Remember, you, some of you was not even here then. And some of you was, didn't listen. And uh, some of you just come on Sunday morning and come on Sunday night. But there are several views of how Jesus is going to come. There's the printer's view, which says that Revelation has already been fulfilled in the past. In other words, it was just a letter John was writing to the Christians to encourage, encourage them in their uh, suffering, and it has already been fulfilled in the past. That's, uh, that's one position that many take. Secondly, there's the historical position that people take, and that's what we call post-millennialism. Now, post-millennialism, this is the belief that Revelation is being fulfilled through the church age, and as the church age goes on and on and on, the world's going to get better and better and better. How's that working out? It ain't working out too good. So that is just about fade off the scene. Then there's a third one. There's the idealist or the amillennialist. And they're multiplying by the hundreds. Calvinism and amillennialism go side by side usually. They usually run on the same tracks. Not always, but many times. 
And so when you find someone who is a Calvinist, more than likely they will at least lean toward amillennialism. An amillennialist believes the events of Revelation is to be actual or literal, but the whole book is only a symbolic picture of how good will eventually triumph over evil. It's just a book about good against evil, and in the end, the good will beat the evil. Basically what they believe. They don't believe, they don't accept the thousand years that God says in Revelation 20 six times. They don't accept that. They don't accept millennialism at all. And so they are an ah millennialist. Now there's all different kinds of versions of all of those. But then there's a fourth one and there is a futurist. That's called premillennialism. That's what I am. That's what I, you better be, all right? A premillennialist. You see, you can't even understand the Bible if you're in one of those other three because the Old Testament don't even make sense if you don't believe in premillennialism. Just don't. There's some things there you can't account for, and you've got to save the conflict if you are an amillennialist. It takes that Revelation, here's what a futurist does, Revelation is primarily prophetic in that Christ will return to usher in his kingdom. And then it states that there will be seven years of tribulation and the last three and a half will be more intense. And then Jesus will come and win the battle of Armageddon. And then he'll go to Jerusalem and ride up on Jerusalem's hill and sit down upon his throne. That's what the Bible says. In fact, that's what the Jewish Bible says. And so, uh, you say, well, you know, it's not going to be such thing as people riding horses. You don't know. Get enough stuff to get blowed up, you'll fight with what you have to. Right? And so, modern warfare, we may have done you so much modern warfare, and it may have been destroyed so badly, there may not be any by the time we get to this point in history. So, this is the... Uh, some, they'll say this. People will say, well, that's something that they made up like, you know, it's AD 400 or AD 500 or in the Dark Ages. They, they, made, they made that up. But we, we find that it's the only interpretation that clearly defines the Bible. Now, uh, there's different views on premillennialism. You can believe whatever you want to about that. There's the pre-trib rapture. There's the mid-tribulation rapture. There's the post-tribulation rapture. And there's the no-tribulation rapture. You know, that's what some people, they're all divided up here. But there are different views on premillennialism. But this view has to be accepted if you really, really understand the Bible. I wouldn't tell you that. If I didn't believe it with all my heart. And number five, there is another view, and that's the ignorant view. They just ignore it. Many good and wonderful old preachers hold to a refined, simplistic view. Some of them I loved and some taught me. They hold to a, a simplistic view that 
was somewhere between amillennialism and premillennialism. They thought Revelation could not be probed. It was too deep. But they believed in a literary return of Christ and they believed in the judgment of God. So they preached, here's what they preached. They preached a general judgment and a general resurrection. They preached it, like I said to David, everything had just happened at one time. And so I had a professor in, in Bible college. He was, he was uh, an older fellow, and I asked him. I stood up. I said, sir, I said, uh, you know, w- w- what about the premillennial view? I said, it was contradicting something he said. He said, he had a little weak voice. He said, son, I don't know. I never preached past the third verse till I got to chapter 20. He skipped those. You know why? Because he didn't think they could be probed. So let's look at this order. He he describes it for us. He gives it real. Chapter 1 is the past. Chapter 2 and 3 is the present. Chapter 4 through 22 is the future. That's pretty easy, right? Chapter 1 gives us a picture of Christ. This description uh, will work also today. This is what Jesus is going to look like. This is a Jesus you're going to face when he comes back. There's a picture of Christ. Two, chapters 2 and 3 gives us a picture of the church. And we're seeing it just about to unfold exactly like Laodicea. Amen. Then chapter 4 and 5, you're going to see the church in heaven. That's going to be a good day. And that's going to be one of my sermons on Christmas. And then there's going to be the tribulation period, chapter 6 through 19, as it unfolds all of its different aspects as it's chopped up in sevens. And then there's chapter 20 that deals with the millennial reign of the final judgment. And then chapter 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth, and then eternity forever with Jesus Christ. So you see, Revelation is probably the most orderly book in the Bible. Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpet visions, seven bold plagues, seven personages. Everything you see is pretty organized. Chapters 1 through 3, Jesus is the Lord in the midst of the churches. Chapter 4 and 5, Jesus is the Lamb in the midst of the throne. Chapter 6 through 18, Jesus is the Lion in the midst of the nations. And chapter 19 and 20, Jesus is the Lover in the midst of the wedding celebration. And chapter 21 and 22, Jesus is the Light and the midst of eternal glory so it's pretty easy to understand so I want you to know there's three things today I'll do it as quick as possible the subject of the book the source of the book and the significance of the book those three things and Christmas is about this not what you what we've made it to be I don't even know where we are supposed to celebrate or not. I don't think Jesus is dishonored because we celebrate, and that's why I've always celebrated. I think anytime Jesus is honored, he's happy. And so I think he's good. But I think he would be a lot happier if we celebrated other days like we do Christmas. Look at the subject of Revelation, verse number 1. The subject is Jesus Christ. In other words, chapter number one just talks about Jesus Christ. Now, I, I can't give you all about that, but the, that Greek word that I told you, as I said, is that word uh, apocalypse. That's the word. 
or Apocalypse. Uh, that, that's where that, you see all those movies, you know, it's got that in it. It just means the unveiling or the revealing or the manifestation of something. It, it, it's like a, a sculptor has just scu- uh, had, a, had a masterpiece and, and he has chipped and he has been so detailed and he has a curtain on it and he invites everyone to come and see his masterpiece and he jerks the curtain off and reveals his masterpiece. God said, listen, I showed you my son. I've done everything for my son. My son died for you on the cross. I want you to see him like he really is. And down comes the veil. Down comes the veil. And there he stands, not like they thought. Not riding a donkey. No, not bleeding on the back. Not wearing a crown of thorns. No, he comes back different. And so the subject is about Jesus. Now, he is the central theme of this particular uh, chapter, chapter 1. Then there's the consummation program. God has to end the Bible somewhere. Right? We can't have a Bible this big. You know, well, you could say, you kids get that in, we'll get this in and carry it in the church. We'd have to make bigger churches, you know, for our Bibles. Because the Bible even says that Jesus wrote so many things the world couldn't contain them. You know, we, we, we couldn't do it. So God had to stop somewhere, and God knew exactly the information we needed. We talked about this on, I think, Wednesday night. God knew exactly the information we needed, so he gave us exactly the information we need. So don't you raise your hand and say, well, what about this? Listen, why don't you get, get to, in this book and learn what God's already said before you start asking questions about something he didn't say? More people are worried about what he didn't say than what he did say. And so, look, he had to close it. So, Genesis starts it. Revelation ends it. Revelation ties all the loose ends of the Bible together for us. It kind of wraps it in a package for us. That's the best Christmas package we've ever seen wrapped, right? The whole book of the Revelation kind of wraps up the rest of the Bible in a package and then unveils exactly what God wants us to see. Let me show you the differences between them. Genesis, uh, earth was created. Revelation, heaven and earth passes away. In Genesis, Satan's first rebellion took place. In Revelation, his last rebellion took place. In Genesis, darkness was called night. In Revelation, the Bible said, there be no night thereof, for he is the light. Now, Genesis Genesis says that there were waters were seas. Revelation, God said, there will be no seas. Genesis, the curse was pronounced. Revelation, thank God the curse was removed. And chapter in Genesis, death entered. In Revelation, death will be no more. In Genesis, we see sorrow and suffering. In Revelation, we see no more sorrow and no more tears. In Genesis, we see Satan dooms foretold. And in Revelation, we see Satan dooms carried out. 
There's the differences. And God takes the book of Genesis that people want to doubt and other passages, and you turn it all around. But in Genesis, the tree of life is guarded. Remember, it's guarded. But in Revelation, the tree of life is accessible. We can get to it. I'm going to give me a bite of it. When I do that, means I'm there forever. There forever, and I've already tasted, and he's tastes sweet. So I've just, I'm already, just like I'm there. Just like I'm there. Look, look, Genesis, the promises of a victorious Lord. Revelation is the performance of that victorious Lord. In Genesis, the first bride fell. In Revelation, the last bride will never fall again. Isn't that going to be good? Never fall again. And so, Jesus Christ is the commander of all things, and Jesus Christ makes us in his image. And so, all through life, we need to understand what Jesus looks like so we can know how we should live for Christ because we're made in his image. Y'all got this? You can go to Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15. Start to read that. And read that when he tells about we're made in his image, then he starts to talk about what Jesus looks like. In other words, when he says you're made in the image of God, that means you were made in the image of God, but we don't look like we ought to look. We've gotten all twisted up. And what we need to do is to set us a mark, and that mark is the unveiled Jesus Christ. Look like him. Look like him. Now, secondly, I want you to know it's the source of the book. It's God the Father. You, you see that God the Father is the source of the book. Now, even though God the Father and God the Son are equal, God the Father in perfect submission is the head. So how do you know that? First Corinthians eleven three says it. But when everything is accomplished, the Trinity will be gathered together, all in all, with no need for separate functions. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 and 28 kind of leans that way. Man and woman will be equal in all respects in heaven. Not now. You're not equal. Not supposed to be equal. God don't want us to be equal. In fact, man, can you imagine some of these men being women? Woo! Goodness gracious, alive, how ugly you be. But God meant for us to be who we are here. But when you get to heaven, there is... No differences there. We're all the same. And I think we will be able to know who we were, and I think we'll look exactly like we did down here, except at 33. Perfect. Perfect age, 33. And, and, and I do. I believe God will take the age of his dear son who lived his life and proved you could live a sinless life, and I believe he's going to make us the way we were when we were 33 and say, this is what you could have looked like, but you choose to live a different life. Y'all didn't, y'all not getting this. But, but look, at the, look as, he, as he goes on and shares. The Bible says that, that he shut unto Jesus his servants, and the book of Revelation is unveiled now for his servants. The very name of the book lets us know that this book is given for our understanding. It was written in A.D. 96. And so we have copies back as early as the hundreds 
where people have copied scriptures about the rapture. And yet, we're told by uh, scholars across the world, there is nothing to tell us about the rapture when there has been discovered things where the people believed in the rapture. The real church believed the rapture. They do. Some say that the revelation cannot be understood. If that's the truth, then the Holy Spirit is falling down on his job. Because for John 14, 26 said he'd come and show us all things. That Christ, right? Right? 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the same thing. So don't look at it as an open book uh, just to be understood, but an open book to design to make you like Christ. Now look at the swiftness from this source. Must shortly come to pass. He didn't say may shortly come to pass. He said must. In other words, it's necessary that this comes to pass. Y'all hear me in the balcony, all right? All right. About four of you awake. rest of you wake up, all right? And listen, it d- didn't say anything about must or maybe or, or maybe or hope so. He said it was absolutely necessary that this come to pass. And he said, does it shortly? That means when it starts, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be so speed, speedily, so, so swift that we can't keep up with it. The judgments keep coming and coming. You take Revelation, read the whole book, and you pack them into seven years, it'll scare the daylights out of you. I'm glad I'm going up before that comes down, aren't you? And then there's the symbolism of the source signified, that sign, the sign. I could give you an illustration. Let me give you one. The Bible uses the word dragon, and then later on, he gives us a definition because he said the dragon was the devil. You'll see those things in the book of Revelation. Here's the third thing. Look at the significance of the book. Significance of the book. First of all, it was significant for the future. If you wanted to know how to live in the future, this book tells you. If you want to know how to prepare yourself for the future, this book tells you. If you want to know where you could go for the future, this book tells you. Tells you about hell. Tells you about heaven. Tells you about all the things you need to know. Secondly, it is currently significant. The time is at hand. Hey, folks, it's urgent now. We're on our way to the emergency room. Oh, it is currently significant. And then it is significant for blessing. Word blessing. Look, blessed is he that readeth, the day that hear the words of his prophecy. Keep those things which are written therein, for the time is in hand. And I hear people say, I'm not going to read Revelation because it scares me. Bible said it ought to bless you. Blessed is he that readeth. Why should he bless you? Because he is going to reveal to you what Jesus Christ looks like just in chapter 1. And when you know what he looks like in chapter 1, you'll understand how he can do everything else in the next 21 chapters. Right? And so it blesses you. But here's three things you've got to do. Number one, you've got to read it. Number two, you've got to hear it. And not just with your ears, with your heart. And number three, you've got to keep it. And if you want to be blessed, you've got to do all three of those things. So that night in Bethlehem, 
Those folks didn't know it, but a blessing was born. You show my baby's a blessing? Yes, it is. In about 12, 14 years, it won't be, but it's, it's a blessing now. But um, no baby has ever been born like this baby. And no blessing has ever been a blessing like this blessing. When I look at that, it is so significant because it blesses us. Now, you've got to do those things. It's a, it's a conditional blessing. It's not unconditional. Some things are unconditional. He's just, God's going to do it where you do anything and not. Other things are conditional. In other words, God says, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here he gives three things. If you want to understand the book of the Revelation, you can understand it by doing these three things. But you got to do all three. And when you do, you know what's going to happen? Blessing. A blessing. Ironside states that since Revelation contains signs, it requires much study to get much blessing. So the subject is Jesus. The source is God. The significance is blessing. Are you all with me? So today, if you want to go to heaven, you have to have life. When this life ends, when the blood's drained out of this old body, the life's in the blood, you'll be gone unless you have a spirit in you that is different. Because Jesus said, you must be born again. You see, number one, he brings life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Y'all with me? So you have to get born again if you want life. That's why Jesus, that's why this book, this book is such a blessing. It ends by telling you what that life is all about. And then I think uh, we need to understand that birth is never repeated. How many times y'all been born? I'm talking about physically. Any of you been born twice? Well, about three times. Some of us look like we need a four or four, right? Amen. Maybe we ought to call for a new one. But the only way we get a new one is spiritually, and Nicodemus had a hard time with that. And Jesus told this great scholar of the Bible that you must be born again. And he said, how? Well, you see the Spirit, he said. He said, you don't see the Spirit, but, but, but you can, or the wind, but you can see the wind blowing the trees. You can, branches are blowing and the weeds are, are sweet. So the wind is blowing. You can't see the wind, but it's blowing. And when you get saved and you give your heart to Christ, you don't see Jesus come in, but the wind starts to blow and it blows in inside you and then it blows out of you and then it blows from you 
That's what it says right here. So you're only born once. So that means if you ever get saved, you can't be unsaved. Now, uh, thirdly, birth is a definite experience. I don't remember being born. I've, I've talked to some people. I can remember things that happened maybe when I was about five, four or five years old. That's about as far as I can go back. I've talked to some people. said, I remember some things happened when I was two years old. I thought they need a psychiatrist. They can't remember that. You know they don't. They don't do it at all. But the truth of the matter is, birth, I know I'm born because I hear. And when you get saved, you'll know you're born because he's here. It's a definite experience. And then it's a painful experience. Jesus had to go to Calvary for you to go to heaven. Jesus had to suffer things that none of us can even imagine for you to go to heaven. And your mother, before you brought your little body out into this world she had to suffer the birth pangs of bearing a child I know now we dope everybody up and, and we don't know it but most, most of the time there's a pain that goes with it and so, let me tell you something when you get saved most of the time somebody has been in prayer for you they have painfully burdened agonly prayed for you so there, your spiritual birth works the same way. There's no mystery about the wind. I can't catch it. If I could, I'd cool it down sometimes up here. I can't catch the wind. I can't catch it in a bucket. I can't catch it in a basket. I can't catch it in a hand. But thank God that the spirit Jesus is talking about you don't catch, he catches you. And he just moves right in. But you have to say yes. You don't have to do a thing I've said today. You can forget every word. But I want to remind you of something in verse number one, and then we're through. Show unto his servants that which must shortly come to pass. And he sent it, verse number two, I'm sorry. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy which is written. John to the seven churches. Now look, from him which is, which was, which is to come. You can't get around that. He is. You say, well, how old is God? Let your mind go back as far as your mind can go, and God is. Go to creation, God is. Go further than creation, God is. Go wherever you want to, God is. But then God was, that was at Bethlehem. When he comes down and 
He was manifested in the flesh to show us what God looked like. He became visible. He became huggable. He became touchable. He became lovable. He he came to show us he cared. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Which was. Lastly, which is to come. You can't get around is and which was, and you're sure not going to get around this is. Which is to come. I'm going to tell you, when we see Jesus, we'll kick them Christmas trees over on our way out. (laughs) Bust them old reindeer all over the head, right? Kick Frosty Plum to the road. (laughs) And we'll start shouting the glory as we go up through the clouds to meet our Lord in the air. I don't know when it's coming, but I know this. When it starts, it's going to be quick. It is. I am. I will. That's what he said. 